With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey guys, it's Mark. And I'm Charity. And welcome to the Case Watch Podcast. Case Watch deals with content meant for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case Watch. Confirming the body found in Grand Teton National Park is Gabby Petito, and she was killed. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder. Late today, Chris Watts was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls. Remember these words. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Hi, guys. That was weird. You pointed at me. It's kind of awkward. I'm awk. What do you want me to tell you? I'm word. <laughs> I think the creeps know that I'm a little bit awkward. I think they both know that we're both awkward. Yeah. So I'm back. He's back, guys. I How know. was it? It was fun. Yeah. I probably top f- maybe two trips in my entire life. That's awesome. I had so much fun. It was work. Even though I posted pictures on my personal Facebook page. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you got to see him. If oh, not, yeah. you guys can add me. I, I had everybody. very smiley in all the pictures, guys. So basically, uh, my little brother posts like, which part of this was work? Right? All of it was. It yeah. was hard. Hey, Mark. Yes. Why don't you tell the creeps about where you stayed? <laughs> all right. So I was in charge of accommodations. Accommodations. And flights and all of that stuff because that's it's my job that's what i do so basically i've never been to daytona beach before in my entire life i have not either i'm looking at it on a map and i'm like all right i don't know where to stay i know we have a bunch of meetings that were at daytona international speedway and then we have a bunch that were down on the beach right at a hotel down on the beach called the i think it was called the streamline hotel yep top floor super cool very cool place um so I don't know. I, I We have nine people that are going down with us. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll just punch into like Best Western and see what's going on. Right. So I load that up, put nine people in for, you know, a week. And then it pops back and it was like 11 something thousand dollars. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to work. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And my boss is equally as cheap as I am. So I knew it wasn't going to work. So then I'm like, well, I'm going to check Airbnb. And there was nothing on there. And I was like, well, we're waited like three weeks before the Daytona 500. So we're kind of shafting ourselves. Right. So I was like, oh, wait, that Verbo, VRBO, I'll try them. And then they had a place. And I was like, oh, cool. So I start looking at it. And it's a quaint little building. Quaint. You got five bedrooms. And it could hold 18 people. Let me ask you one question. Yes. So on, because I know on Airbnb, you can look at people like give it stars and they brand new listing okay okay that makes sense brand new listing has zero reviews (laughs) but these people did own other properties yep so they had high reviews and their other properties okay so i i you know even if this place didn't i knew that the the 
owners were good. They were verified by Verbo and everything, so that's fine. So I'm like looking at it. It's directly in the middle. It's exactly two miles from the speedway, and it's exactly two miles from the house bound to the beach. So it's like dead oh, smack in the middle. Perfect. So if anybody's familiar with Daytona Beach, I don't care. I'm already gone. I'll tell you where our house was. So it was on West Speedway Boulevard, leaving the track exactly two miles down. There's a checkers that's on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Okay. So if you turn on from Speedway Boulevard onto there with a second plate, you have checkers. Then there's a- What uh, kind of food's at checkers? Checkers is like a burger joint like oh. they have down south. Like I hit it a bunch when I was in Detroit. Okay. So you already knew, you were excited when you knew oh, there was a checkers. I, I, I kind of- Was that what did it for you? It was kind of a selling point that there was a checkers <laughs> within walking distance. So basically, I'm like, all right, cool. So we're the third place down on the left on the street, 100 feet from the intersection. I'm like, perfect. And it was like 3200 bucks, And I was like, awesome. Yeah. This works. I mean, it's that. a lot of money in my eyes. I'm not paying for it. So. Right. And it was it fit the cheap budget. So I was like, perfect. We get there. None of us had been there before. Pull in. It was an old church. Oh, that's kind of cool. So I was like, this is cool. This is quaint. This is nice. And I was like, looking around, like the street looks pretty good. There's a bunch of old. So I, I kind of did a street walk on Google Maps when I first found the address. Guys, guys he was a street walker. I was street walking, baby. You know how it is. <laughs> and you could see, like, you could tell they're tearing places down. They have all new street lights. Like, they're, you can tell this is an area they're revitalizing. I see. Okay. So they're trying to bring life into an area that needed some life. Problem is, is there's still other life that's not as that wanting to be that change. Oh. So our house had an eight foot tall security fence around the entire front of it. Okay, that's kind of amazing. I was like, this is odd, but it's cool. Yeah. You got a little gate you go through. And Feel then secure. You, you got like, it's like 20 feet wide and 10 foot deep. It was perfect. Nice. Um, flash cut to us just getting our stuff out of the car and we have the first gentleman stop and ask us for a dollar. Oh boy. We didn't even make it into the gate before the, his other friend showed up and asked for a soda. And then they were kind of curious if we wanted some crack. Oh. So I was like, no, no, not really. Kind of kind of not wanting that today. Yeah, I think I'm good, but thanks for asking. Pointed to the house next door and said, well, if you do, we sell right next door. No. I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, the house after that was a car wash that played. Do you know that like Mexican mafia music? That yes. That nonstop. Yeah. It's awesome. Morning, noon, night, blasted. Never stopped. Didn't dare to ask him to. No. I was like, I, I've seen this, these in the cartels movies. Like, nope. And you were in their neck of the woods. So you yes, we were in Daytona Beach, Florida. Yes. So anyways, flash cut to that happening nonstop. <laughs> and then one of my buddies gives one of the guys a dollar. Oh, man. Which is fine. Yeah. Except now he told everybody he got a dollar. All his friends. From the old place that used to be a church. And now there was a constant group of people hanging out in front of our house the entire week. Oh, boy. Um, and then there was another group of them that I, I'm pretty sure they were in a tricycle gang. Because <laughs> these were like full-on bicycles, except they had tricycle rear ends. That's amazing. With massive stereo systems in them. Nice. And they were just driving down the road, spinning, turning around, coming the back. They, they were doing laps around the front of our place. Oh. Slightly awkward. Yeah. But whatever. It is what it is. I guess. So my boss just looks at me and said, you are fired from finding accommodations for us from this point <laughs> forward. I no longer trust your word. I'm like, hey, next time I'll just book us all in Hilton. I'm fine with that. Hey, 
right? And he's like, actually, we'll we'll stay here. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we affectionately nicknamed it The Church. I love that. Which was awesome. So I had never been, I'm a, a massive racing fan. Everybody who's listened to this podcast for more than a day knows that I am. So it was a awe-inspiring moment for me when I actually got Daytona International Speedway in front of my eyes. Amazing. And I'm just looking at it, and I know that I'm going to the top, up to the the suites, because that's where our classes were. And I'm trying to concentrate during classes while the president of NASCAR is talking to us. And then Mike Helton, who's the former president, who's the guy who announced that like Dale Earnhardt was killed. Oh, God. Like, he's standing there, and I am awestruck. Wow. And I'm like, this dude is like my entire childhood. Wow. So I finally get the nerve up. I'm gonna like, I'm going to ask for a picture with him. Did you? And Oh, yeah, I did. Super nice. I was like, hi, uh, Mike. Um, you don't know me. I'm Mark. You know, I run these tracks. And he's like, oh, uh, how are you doing, sir? And I was like, I'm good. He called you, sir. Yes. And I said, That's amazing. Can I get a picture with you? And he, I was, he's like, sure. So I had seen him the day before. Yep. We're at the Streamline Hotel, which is right on the beach is where NASCAR started. Oh, that's awesome. We're having this big, like big dinner and all this stuff that was quote unquote work. Yeah. He's winking. Guys. Yes. He just winked. Uh, we're on top of a building with an endless supply of food and alcohol wow. and soda. Wow. And it was fun. And like racing legends are walking up and talking and walking around. Well, Mike Halton walks by me and he's standing next to me in line. And like he's like, his arm is like hitting me. And I'm just like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? That's Mike Halton's arm. <laughs> so I didn't ask him for a picture because I was too scared to. And then while we're at the class, you know, the next day, finally I'm like, I want to do it. So I, he's like completely the nicest dude in the world. And I said to him, I was like, you know, I saw you yesterday at the Streamline Hotel, and I was too nervous to ask you for a picture. I said, but, you know, thank you for doing this. He's like, I saw you yesterday, too. I was pretty nervous standing beside you. No, he didn't. That is so cool. And oh, I my was, God. That's awesome. I was like, come on. He's like, no, I was standing next to you by the food. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, he actually remembered me. Wow. I was like, super cool. That is He's so like, cool. But now let's get our picture together so we can both say we have our picture together. Oh my God, that's so nice. Nicest dude in the that, world. That's I see, I love I love when you meet somebody like that and they end up being lovely. I just love that. Yeah. I got roped in to be a pit crew member for uh, so during speed weeks, there's the stuff that happens at Daytona, but they're also racing at a track called New Smyrna, which is like ten minutes away. Right. Probably twenty minutes away if like other people were driving, but it was ten with my boss driving. So we were there pretty quick. Nice. So his dad owns a car. They were racing down there and none of their crew members showed up. So I got roped in to be a rear tire changer. Wow, that's which cool. Which was super cool in my eyes. Got down and, you know, unfortunately we lost the motor. Ended up changing the motor overnight. Oh. Lost another motor the next day. So oh. I never actually had to do any duties. I had to push the car down the front stretch, you know, down pit lane because we had no motor. Oh. Uh, can barely still feel my legs. It was definitely a mark workout. Oh. Um, what else happened down there? Oh, I walk into the track and I, I'm like, now the, the people I work with, a lot of them are my buddies. Like I've known these guys for years. So I'm like, they're looking at me and I'm looking at the track and I'm like thinking we're having a moment. And I'm like, this place, this place is huge. Oh, I bet. And I'm like, this is amazing. And my boss is like, yeah, no shit. It's the biggest track. Does it really surprise you that it's huge? Oh I'm yeah. Like, to see it firsthand like that is so different. I'm like. You're such a jerk. 
he's been there before. Yes, I yeah. never have. Yeah. So then there's this thing that we joke about locally. It's called the curse of Mark. So I install cameras in cars and stuff like that. So I have to get inside of them, install cameras and crap like that. So there's a group of people up our way that no longer let me touch their cars because I have put cameras in or I've mic'd up the car or something like that. And then they've had like the worst day they've ever had or they've destroyed their car. Oh, and they're blaming it on you. Yeah, because it happened repeatedly to a bunch of people after I did this. Now, it's the curse of Mark. Well, I got to say it struck this weekend. It did. Because Kyle Busch is one of my favorite drivers. And we had all access VIP passes, which was the ball. So cool. So people can go in the garages down there in the infield. You got to buy a pass and you get to sit on the outside so you can look through glass. Right. Or you can go up on the roof and look down in. Our passes were driver's side. So we were in with the cars. That's so cool. And then it's Kyle Bush's car sitting right there. And I'm like, I got to touch it. Oh, no. And my buddy's like, don't touch it. And you're like, I'm going to. I'm like, doing it. I'm going to touch it. Oh. And he's like, don't touch it. <laughs> and so then I walk by and I'm like, I put my finger <laughs> right on where Kyle Bush's name's on the roof. And I touch the roof. And I was like, oh, this feels great. <laughs> And then didn't think of anything of it. So our t- our seats were, we had a cool, it was called the Turn 1 Hospitality area where we were. So we were in the infield right at the end of Pit Road. And there's this, if you watched on TV, you would see it. There's this big white tent. It had yep. like three circus tops to it. And doesn't look that big when they're flashing by at 200 miles an hour on TV, not, but right. it's like 200 feet long. That it's huge. so cool. Inside the tent, they have all this wicked, nice outdoor furniture. So they have, I, I'm sitting in a recliner. I'm looking at like an 85 inch TV directly in front of me, which is directly beside the track. And oh my God, that's so cool. Those cars, they fly by you so quick that they're in your view for about four seconds. Oh, I can only imagine. And then as soon as they go by, you can't even hear them anymore. Wow. Because you go around, they're like two miles away from you on the other end of the track. Wow. So Kyle Bush is leading most of this race and he's kicking some butt. And I'm like, yeah, my buddy, he's doing it. He's doing it. And you're like, it's because I touched the top of his car. And then uh, another driver got the back of him and put him head on into the wall at like oh, 200 miles an hour. Oh, Mark, no. And then so my boss looks at me and said, I bet you touched his car, didn't you? Joking. Because like, he wasn't with me. And then my friend who was with me was like, oh, my God, he did. Stop. <laughs> so it was like the curse of Mark is here. Right, Kyle Bush, if you are listening to the Case Watch podcast. You're my favorite driver. You're I'm Mark's, sorry I touched your car. Yeah. You're Mark's favorite driver. And I um, I would like to apologize for my co-host for doing that. But at least you know it wasn't your fault. Yeah, it was all my fault. It was Mark's fault. So... We had the time of our lives. It, it was a trip to remember for the rest of my life. I love that. We're flying back. And the flight out of Daytona was pleasant. Daytona Airport is the best airport I've ever been in my entire life. Wow. There's eight gates. That's it. And it's tiny. TSA is a joke. Like you walk through and there's this, there's like Barney Fife hanging <laughs> out there. And he looks at me. First time ever this has happened in my entire life. And remember, I... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
fly a lot. Right. Now, the guy, I go through the thing where you got to do the Gumby pose and the security goes around and he's like, sir, I'm going to need you to pick your gut up. No. And I was like. He did not say that. Everybody who's with me breaks down laughing. He did not say that. He said those exact words. No, he didn't. And I looked at him and I'm like. Couldn't he have used a different. Oh my God. It's horrible. I looked at him and I'm like, A, buddy, I'm not that fat. And B, I don't know how to pick my. What? Yeah, He's like, what? you got to pick it up so we can scan. We know there's nothing in your arm, so now you got to lift it up. Oh, my. Stop, wait, it's, all I've, it's all I've heard all week from everybody that I work with. He did not. See. He did. He certainly did. He said, pick up your gut. Excuse me, sir. I'm going to need you to pick your gut up. Oh, my God. Mark. Never been more self-aware that I need to stop eating Twinkies. Hold on a second. Did you? Did he apart like... Oh, no, this was like, just like... That's just what he would say. Turn so. left, turn right, pick your gut up. Well, like, there was nothing. What would he... So would he say that to a woman, I wonder? I'm assuming if she had a gut, he would ask her to pick it up. Oh, I would punch him in his face. I'd be like, no, sir. So, I get through. Oh, Mark, that's horrible. I get through fine, and my buddy comes up behind me, and he was like... Hi, you're random caller 102. You're getting an intense security search. No. They ripped everything apart. They had to like partially undress him. Like he had to go in a side room. It was phenomenal. I loved every bit of it. Well, that's what he got for laughing at you having to do what he the man asked you to do. So I'd rather have picked my gut up. That's fine. Absolutely. So if you travel with me, like I, I am an aficionado. I don't mess around. I know what I'm doing, where I'm going. I know where my gates are. Like, I I come prepared. That's how I roll with everything I do. So we picked group, we got group seven, which didn't matter to me because when Mark flies, Mark's group one. Like, there is no other group. Mark just gets up and slices right over there and goes right in the plane. As soon as they wheel down the wheelchair people. <laughs> oh, well, thank the good Lord that Mark lets the wheelchair people go first. Yeah, because I'm not in a wheelchair. They'll stop me. But my whole thing. That's now, the I've only been, reason. <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years. I've probably flown 50 times. The only time I've ever been stopped was on a Southwest flight about 10 years ago. And they stopped and said, sir, you're, this is Because your you group. load by group on that because it's cattle seating. It's not. I you don't have assigned seats. So it's the faster you're on the plane, the better seat you get. Okay. That so makes sense. they actually pay attention to groups. This They don't really matter. You all have assigned seating. So basically, I'm group one. And everyone's looking at me like that. We're not doing that. And you're like, well, I am. So bye. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. And they're like, well, enjoy security. Because they're all laughing at me. And I just go right up, boop, boop, right on the plane. Wow. So next trip, same thing. Way back. Now they're all group one now, too, because they've seen Mark do it all week. And it's great. So they decided that. They so they come on right behind me. The flight back from Daytona to Charlotte, uneventful. Take off from Charlotte. And we're flying into Boston. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not throwing this out of proportion or anything like that. Worst turbulence I've ever experienced in my life. I I had some really bad turbulence one time. And I, I, I always watch the crew. And when they like quickly, quickly, quickly buckle themselves in, that's when I know it's going to be some bad stuff. Well, A, they never took the... the Sign off for um, buckling. The so they must flight. have known it was coming, right? We're flying from into a low pressure zone. They said so. They said it was, they might be a little, oh, bit, okay, a little. Well, we hit a pocket of air and dropped like a hundred plus feet, <gasps> and it it had that feeling in your stomach like you just crested the roller coaster where your stomach's coming out. 
and then all of a sudden it hit air and it felt like we hit a ton of bricks and it stopped us dead. The luggage bins opened up, stuff was falling out. Oh my God. Our little oxygen things no. all fell oh, down. I, guys. People are screaming. Guys, your girl would have been definitely screaming. They now my boss is freaking out because he hates this stuff. And I'm like, just look out the window. And just you weren't freaking window. out. Like I was laughing maniacally because what are you gonna do? If you're gonna die, you're gonna die. I don't really true. don't care. That's true. Would I rather go down being sad or hyena laughing? So hold on. So let me ask I'm you. I'm just going ha! I, can, I have a mental picture of this. So when this all took place and people were screaming, and it was scary, blah, 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 blah. After it was all said and done, did like the crew come around and assure everyone things were fine? And did they put nope. the thing? Never unbuckled. What? They just apologized for the turbulence, asked us all to stay seated um, as we were probably going to hit more, which we did. So as we're coming in, now you can fly into Boston four different ways. We flew in from the south right-hand side, so we were coming in off of the bay. Okay. We were hitting, coming down into the runway, and we were flying almost sideways to the runway. I'm looking out my window, and I'm looking at the runway. Out of my window on the right-hand side of the plane. Why? Because it was so windy. Remember how windy it was the other night? Oh, I do. Yeah. So, they were almost aborting the, the landing, you could tell. And all of a sudden, we... We hit and we hit the runway sideways, and then the plane jerked the other way. We hit the grass and we started skidding. Are you kidding no, me? No, like they threw the air brakes on. We're like flunk, 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 flunk. They were like brace for impact, brace for impact. I wouldn't. I I don't know if I would fly again after that. I'm laughing like I'm psychotic, loving every minute of it. I'm like, this is going to make oh. a great story for the podcast. Likey psychotic guys, right? <laughs> so then I was like, nobody can have a worse flight than me. Well, our other boss was flying into Manchester, New Hampshire, and he, his first plane got canceled. So they put him on another plane, um, flew him into Charlotte, missed his connection flight, put him on another connection flight, missed that one. Like the, there was an issue with the plane. Right. So then he flies out the next morning, and this is all over the news down in Charlotte area. If you want to go look at it to see if your boy Mark's telling the truth, um, they got about 20 minutes away and then heard a massive thunk on the plane. The landing gear, the front landing gear failed, and it wouldn't stay up into the plane, and it fell, but it was fell, it, it, it fell down, but it had no pressure to stay down. Oh, my God. They had to make an emergency landing back at Charlotte. Oh, my God. Fire trucks, everything. Like, I have the video. My boss is taping with his camera. Wow. I'll show it to you after. And then you hear the lady come over the security, uh, come over the, the PA. She's like, put your phone down, sir, and brace for impact. <laughs> and he's like, you hear him go, oop, whoops, I'm in trouble. <laughs> But he looks out the window and all the fire trucks are there. Put your phone down, sir. (laughs) So I monopolized like 20 minutes of the podcast, guys. Sorry, but this is half the show. You like hearing our stories. It was fun. I would love to hear your guys' stories. So make sure you let us know. 603-212-4600. Kind of slowing down on the the calls. It kind of upsets me. Guys, we need some more voicemails. Follow us on Instagram. I'm at notmarkb. This is Charity. She's at charity underscore case watch we love you guys this is why we do this show true stuff so true. what do you got for us today miss charity <laughs> guys he did it again he made me laugh before we went. what did i do you told me to roll that beautiful bean footage and i don't know why it makes me laugh every single time i wish that people could see the fun we have off the air so oh by the way mark it's across the board that people are going to start using werewolf Instead of werewolf. 
People were very impressed with the werewolf. They they, they were. <laughs> and I Thank don't know you what. guys. You guys, honestly, and I'm being not being facetious. I'm being totally honest. You guys make doing this podcast worthwhile. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. We wouldn't do it if we didn't if we didn't have our interactive listeners. Oh my like, God. I wouldn't even want to do this anymore. So much fun. Mark has the attention span of a squirrel, and I've already so seen another I. red balloon, and I'm looking for another stash of nuts over he here. So. Yeah, yeah. And keep sending us stuff, because it really, really helps. People really liked your your missing stuff that you did. So I've got some more cold case missing persons that have been sent to me. Um, I have two of them right now. If anybody has any more, send them, because I am going to do another one of those. Because, you know, we want closure for these families. Absolutely. Well, what do we have today? Okay, so actually, this person was sent to me by our buddy Walter Cop. Walter sends a lot of cool stuff in on the Case Watch Crime Creep group. He does and he he is a very very um common poster <laughs> on the Facebook page with some really funny stuff I have to say. <laughs> Which people are still rolling in there. We add yes. a bunch of new people every week. Case Watch Crime Creep group on Facebook if you haven't joined it. Go ahead. It's one of the best places on the internet. It really is. So we're going to be talking about Gerard. Did you see how I pronounced my eyes? Yeah, I was uh, like looking funny, like something's not right here. John Schaefer. Don't worry, guys. It probably won't happen Is again. it one person? It's one person. His middle name's John. I, I like to be accurate if I can, Mark. Okay, just double checking because people that have those weird names like that are usually trouble. Oh, no. This guy's a delight. Oh, is he a delight or a delight? He's not a delight. He's just a delight. All right. Yeah, that you're rolling your eyes. Yeah. All right, let's hear. All right. So um, Gerard Schaefer was born in Nina, Wisconsin on March 26, 1946 to parents Gerard John and Doris Marie Schaefer. I love the name Doris. That is an old timey. Yeah. I, I, I got her right now. She's in my eyes. She's 5'2". Um, she has glasses, rosy red cheeks. She's got... Basically, her hair is parted, and it comes down, and she's got, like, little curly hair that comes about shoulder length. <laughs> In my head, that's what I see Doris as. Good. I like that. His father was a traveling salesman while his mother stayed home to care for the children. See, Doris was nice stay-at-home mom taking care of the kids. There you go. The family moved around a good amount. First, they moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Then on to Atlanta, Georgia, and their final destination in 1960 was Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The aforementioned Florida. Yes. Gerard always had a chip on his shoulder, thinking his father paid more attention to his sister than he and his brother. His father was always away from home, frequent, very frequently due to his job as a traveling salesman. Gerard and Gerard Sr. did not get along. Gerard Sr. was said to be an alcoholic that cheated and abused his wife. Yeah, top of the morning to you, douchebag. Sounds like a really nice guy. You know what? We haven't used douchebag enough on the show again. Yeah. Like we've kind of slacked off on it. So douche, 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 douche. Douchey. To say Gerard was odd throughout his childhood is an understatement. He loved collecting guns, hunting and fishing, and usually did these things alone. Although that's not odd. Here's some things that are. I like the way you said that. <laughs> he was known to steal women's undies and was obsessed with death. He also... Had a joy for killing animals. So he was a hunter and did it for sport. But it, it's been said that he would shoot animals that weren't animals that he was going to eat just to watch them die. That's not cool. No. The constant relocations made Gerard's childhood very unstable. That and the fact that he and his father didn't get along. 
He he was, however, very close to his mother. Apparently, she was very protective of all three of her children and only wanted what was best for them. See, that Doris, man. Just stand-up gal. She a good girl. I think so. Doris is a good egg. She is. I would think that maybe she didn't notice Gerard's odd behavior or made excuses for it because of the constant moving. And I would assume she might have had her hands full with that husband of hers. So I'm thinking maybe she didn't. She kind of just turned a blind eye because she was too consumed with right. keeping the family together and all I that get it. stuff. By the time he was a teenager, he had erotic fantasies about hurting women. He quickly realized he was into BDSM. This included role-playing, bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, and sadomachism, masochism. I'm going to say what I said before. Ain't nobody got time for that. There's a lot of (laughs) stuff that goes into that, a lot of work. But one of our creeps did reach out to me after we said that the last time, and she's like, you don't know what you're missing. She sure did. (laughs) Um, this is a little strange to me since he was very close to his mother. Maybe he wanted to hurt women that didn't measure up to his mother, the supreme being. Maybe. Maybe Doris was the ultimate woman and no other woman compared. I don't know. Nothing compares oh, I know. A little Sinead. to you. <laughs> he I was, had to. It's been he was a while. singing before we went on air too, guys. Was I? Yeah. Oh, I was. Yeah. That is right. He enjoyed harming himself. It gave him great sexual pleasure. He would often tie himself to trees, fantasizing about death and murder, becoming fully aroused. These thoughts started taking over his every waking moment. It was also around this time that he started wearing the women's underwear he loved to steal. That's odd. He would wear them around until he reached orgasm. He would What's cl- odder was the way you said orgasm? Why is that odd, You're Mark? Like, orgasm. <laughs> you should have seen the face he just made. You should have seen the face you made. Orgasm. Yes, you're doing it right now. <laughs> he would climax by erotic asphyxiation. We have heard this term in some of the other cases we have covered. Yes. It's basically holding your breath until you climax. Those, also seems like a lot of work. Those poor women's undies. <laughs> they don't deserve that. We Come don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. They're like, stop wearing us. So he has all the things, guys, and he was staying completely under the radar. Fellow students at St. Thomas Aquinas High School have said that he have said, excuse me, that he wasn't quite a loner, but wasn't in any groups or cliques. He came across as a person that enjoyed doing everything kind of alone. He was known to love the wilderness because of his love for hunting and fishing. Everyone thought he was going to eventually become a forest ranger. So he wasn't like, you know, sometimes we hear about these people that like, they're so strange in school, they're loners, they don't talk to anybody. He wasn't like that, but he kind of just liked, almost seems like he was confidently alone, right? Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Barbara Krolick was a former high school classmate of his and had this to say, I can't remember him being friends with any of the guys. He was always on the outside looking in. As a matter of fact, the only thing I really remember is that I had to tuck my skirt under my legs because Gerard would practically stand on his head to look up a girl's skirt. I I see nothing wrong with that. Well, that's not the most fond memory (laughs) if you ask me, though. Right? Right, but still. Mark, that's wrong. You tell the creeps that that's wrong. That is wrong. That's what I said. What are you doing? Uh, That's not what you said. How dare you, Gerard? 
Okay. So I have to say, other than Barbara, it seems as though he was able to hide his- Wait, fruit. how did you say her name? Barbara. you like, Barbara? Uh, all right. Everyone knows that I have issues speaking sometimes, Mark. Okay. You don't have to draw attention to it. I love it when you do. It actually makes me smile. Okay, good. So anyways, besides her, it who's, seems who's her? as though- Barbara. Okay. It seems as though he was able to hide his freaky parts from the public for the most part. Again, maybe it was because of all the moving. People only had a certain amount of time to get to know him. When he was 14 years old, he met his first girlfriend, Cindy. Shockingly, their relationship was able to last for three years. So, okay, he was able to, to snag a girl. Hey, that was longer than most of my relationships. I say shockingly because let's just say he involved Cindy in some strange acts throughout their relationship. What do you mean? Well, Gerard would coerce Cindy into role-playing with him. His favorite fantasy was to rip Cindy's clothes off and, quote-unquote, rape her. Yeah, I don't get that. Clearly, Cindy was a fan of his at the time because she went along with it. I don't get any of that. Yeah, I don't know. They were very young. So yeah. maybe maybe like he was kind of her first boyfriend and she didn't know in the beginning how weird that was until she— Maybe I'm just plain Jane Vanilla in life because he read this stuff off. It's like, none of this sounds fun to me. Well, the whole rape thing. Yeah, it's odd, but there's a whole group of people that are into it. Well, hey. Whatever floats your boat. Yep. Cindy broke up with Gerard in 1963. I couldn't find any information on why, but I think we can speculate maybe his sexual fantasies became more violent and intense. Gerard graduated from high school in 1964, and he kept moving forward with some accomplishments. In 1964, he started attending Broward Community College, studying social studies at first. He went to Broward for two years, receiving his associate's degree. At the time, he then decided he wanted more. He thought maybe going to school to get his degree in teaching would be a good next step. Um, whoa. Not sure this is the kind <laughs> uh, of person I want teaching. I don't think I want this dude anywhere near any type of children, <laughs> but whatever. Maybe he changed, Mark. I'm going to say no, because you're telling a story about him right now. Okay. Maybe it's going to switch characters. <laughs> uh. I don't think so. In January of 1968, he started attending Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton. His ultimate goal was to earn a teacher's license. This go-getter jumped in with both feet and took his new future career very seriously, Mark. Right? Yeah. It was during this time Gerard met his first wife, Martha Lewis Fogg, or as her friends would call her, Marty. That's cute. I'd call her Frog. Instead of Fog? Yeah. What's up, Froggy? Oh, well, maybe some people did. I don't know. I don't know. She was attending the same school, but two years behind him. The two got married in December of 1968 and lived on SW 22nd Street in Fort Lauderdale. Having the love of his life by his side and, and being serious about his teaching future, Gerard was able to land a student internship at a high school in 1969. The name of the high school was Plantation High School, and he was ultimately only employed for a short time. He started mm. the internship on September 23rd and was fired on November 7th. Wow. <laughs> he was fired for what the principal at the time called totally inappropriate behavior. <laughs> now I, I think I need to know more. It was said that he was forcing his own political views and moral code on the students. There were many calls from angry parents coming into the school. 
I really wish we had more details on the inappropriate behavior. I need more. I can only imagine what kinds of things Gerard might have said or done in front of or to the teenagers at this school. I mean, if you have like not just one parent calling in, but like multiple parents calling in, something bad's going down. Something's not right. Yeah, he's... (laughs) Well, not willing to give up his dream of teaching, Gerard applied for another teaching internship in March of 1970. The school of his choice was Stranahan High School. Guess there was no calling around to find out how the previous internship went because he was accepted and started teaching geography. That's nuts to me. Like, wouldn't you? Obviously, he probably didn't tell them. But if you have a, uh, if you, to me, even back then, I mean, things are different, of course. But if you have a college student wanting to do an internship, wouldn't you call the school and say, oh, is this his first internship? You think there'd right? be some sort of follow through. <sighs> to say Gerard didn't excel at Stranahan High was an understatement. It was noticed that he didn't really know much about what he was teaching, and it was noticed by much of the faculty that he was very arrogant. It came across as if he thought he was smarter than every other teacher there. And for these reasons, he was told by the principal he would not be welcome to continue student teaching as of May 18th, 1970. <laughs> So that's number two down. And to add insult to injury, just a few weeks before he lost his internship on May 2nd, 1979, Marty filed for divorce. She couldn't keep up with her husband's demanding strange sex appetite. Gerard was also hardly ever home. It's been said during this time he spent much of his time out of the home, quote unquote, hunting. Right. That's a scary thought. Do you think he was hunting for? The stolen woman's underwear while he was hunting? Probably. (laughs) Marty said her reason for wanting a divorce was, quote, extreme cruelty. We can only wonder what that meant. What did he do to this poor woman? Seriously. Now it's got me wondering. Right? Not long after his divorce, Gerard had a short relationship with a disabled woman he had met at a Fort Lauderdale mental health clinic. Again, was he at the clinic trying to get help for himself? Was he trying to fix what was wrong with him? The relationship didn't last. I even read somewhere that at one point he tried to become a priest but was turned away. Again, I wonder if that had been true. Maybe it was another attempt to try and fix himself, right? So maybe he clearly knew there was something not right about his thoughts or whatever if he was... Or it was a way to put himself in the position to be around a bunch of people with authority. Maybe. There's two sides to every knife. That's true. Very, very true. Um, after the whole teaching thing, shat the bed. <laughs> I love that. Gerard must have decided he needed a vacation to clear his head. He skidooed to Europe and North Africa. That's quite the vacation if you ask me. <laughs> I wonder right. where he got the money for such an extravagant vacation. Back to Florida he went and snagged himself a job as a security guard. It was while he was at this job in January of 1971, he met a 19-year-old secretary named Teresa Dean. It was a whirlwind romance, and the two lovers were quick to get married on September 11th, 1971. Gerard later said that his second marriage was much less volatile than his first marriage. Teresa loved to fish just as much as he did, and he was happy to keep up, and she, sorry, was happy to keep up with the kinky and strange or even scary sexual demands. It was during this time of harmony that Gerard had an epiphany. He knew in an instant he was destined to be a police officer. 
Oh, no. Mm-hmm. His first attempt was applying to Wilton Manor's police department. He, of course, withheld the information about his former employment. You know, the two internships that he was fired from for not knowing teaching information required for the job and acting like a weirdo. <laughs> Back then, there was no type of background checking for employment. I guess you just had to trust that a person is being truthful on their application. Well, Gerard fabricated an amazing work history story. He said that he had two years of experience in research while attending FAU. Here again, that could have been checked, but clearly wasn't. Right? Why would you just take someone's word for it? I uh, think we were more trusting back then, I, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. But still, especially for jobs that are of that magnitude, right? you think there'd be some sort of something checked. Right. Also, to make himself sound super cool, he said he had just returned to the U.S. after living in Morocco for a while. I mean, that does sound really cool and interesting. <laughs> All right. I'm in my head right now trying to remember where Morocco is on the globe, and I don't know. That's why it makes it sound so interesting. It's like, oh, where were you? I was in Morocco. Now, is it in South America? Maybe. Is it in, you know, Europe area? Maybe. I don't know. But that's what makes it mysterious and cool. Man, I really forgot all my geography. <laughs> Due to no checking up on any of his claims, his words were taken as fact. And it's in September of 1971, he was accepted into the Broward County Police Department. At the age of 25, Gerard graduated from the police academy as a patrolman. Oh boy, this is not good. Now he has some power and some authority. Gerard was only employed with the Wilton Manors Police for about six months. He received only one accolade from the higher-ups in March of 1972 for his actions during a drug raid. Other than that, it was noticed he was not good at his job at all. <laughs> what he was good at was stopping female drivers who were pretty for no reason. During these stops, he would take their license info so he could find out as much information about them as he could. What a dirtball. This is weird. He would then later call them out of the blue and ask them to go out with him. Yeah. The married policeman. Sounds Seems like a real winner. Winner, winner. For this reason, Gerard was discharged by the police department. No skin off his back, though. He hadn't been happy with his pay anyway, so he had already been lining up for a new job before he was let go. He's, Next job, surgeon. Nope. He, start, <laughs> he started working as a deputy at the Martin County Sheriff's Office on June 23rd, 1972. How did he do this so easily after getting fired, you ask? Well, he forged a letter of recommendation from Wilton Manners explaining just how wonderful of a police officer he was and how any department would be lucky to have him. Uh, no. This, of course, could have been debunked if someone had called over to Wilton Manors to double check the authenticity of the letter. Yeah, just picked up a phone. That's all. Said, that's what I'm saying. It's hey, you know, you got this guy over here that's got this great career history saying at your department. How was he? Right. But I guess who would think a fellow police officer would lie about something like that? Right? Because you this said. This guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Trust nobody. True. And when a background check was done, because it did do a background check on him, the kind that could do back then, he had no criminal record at the time. Gerard had many odd behaviors, but at this point, he had never been arrested. On yet another police force, as a safe authority figure, someone trusted to go to if you are in trouble. So, this is scary. He mm. was off and running. Shortly after becoming a deputy, 
Afternoon time, July 21st, 1972, Gerard drove by two hitchhikers while patrolling a boat. He, of course, stopped as a concerned officer. Yes, one should. Well, they were teenage girls, and their names were Nancy Ellen Trotter, who was 18, and then 17-year-old Paula Sue Wells. He offered them a safe ride to Stewart, which is where they were headed. They weren't from Florida, so they weren't familiar with their surroundings. Gerard talked to the teenagers about how dangerous hitchhiking could be and why they shouldn't do it. What an amazing guy, just a member of law enforcement, trying to be helpful, keeping the community safe. This really, like, grinds my goat. Even more. I feel bad for your goat. I always say that. Well, I look at it as this is somebody who we're taught to look up to. Exactly. Yeah. He's betraying the trust and now ruining the good cops' names out there. Yep. It's so sickening to me. Even more amazing is when the do-good deputy found out that the girls were headed to Jensen Beach the next day. He offered to drive them, Mark, so that they'd be safe. He didn't want some creep picking them up, risking abduction or worse. Such a stand-up guy protecting and serving. Gerard and the gals agreed that he would pick them up the next morning at 9.15 a.m. at a bandstand on East Ocean Boulevard. We will have to wait until the next episode to find out how that ride went. Oh, man. (laughs) What do you think, Mark? Maybe the entire next episode will just be about Gerard picking up hitchhikers and getting them to to their destination safely. That's an awful, odd life to live. (laughs) My job is to pick up hitchhikers and make them get places good. Hey. Someone's I'm going to do it. say the fact that we're talking about him right now means that this story is going to make a, a direct left turn. Um, I don't know, Mark. We'll have to wait and see. All right, guys. Sound off on our social medias. Let us know how you feel. Yeah. Let us know. I'm curious. All right, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Bye, guys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.